Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. The most popular book, Can You Trust It? And what we're hoping over the next four, five, six weeks or so to just kind of answer some of the questions that nag on people's minds about the Bible. Uh, But this morning, I I, want to just kind of set the stage for the the beauty of the book. I've titled the message, uh, A Dangerously Beautiful Book. A Dangerously Beautiful Book. I mentioned that to a guy at Panera. And he goes, I don't like that title. That makes it sound like the Bible's dangerous. I said, it is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that the presence and power of your Holy Spirit would course through our hearts and minds. God, that you would help us not to be casual about our faith. God, that we would be, that we would learn to be all in. Amen. A dangerously beautiful book. When I was in graduate school, I was with a bunch of pastors. We were on a retreat. It was late fall. It was cold. And, and we were sleeping in a cabin that had no heat. But we had sleeping bags and all that stuff. And we, we were on a retreat with a guy named Richard Foster. Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of the Disciplines. And there was about 40 or so of us. And uh, there was 10 of us that got assigned to this cabin. And we, we all got ready, went, went to bed in our sleeping bags. I had my sleeping bag pulled up over my head, tightened like, like this, uh, and it was cold, and then the lights went out, and one of the guys said this, he goes, shouldn't we get up and have devotions before we go to bed? And I thought, no, <laughs> it's cold, and it was pitch dark, we were in the woods, so there's not, no, it, it was like absolute dark, and, and it got real quiet, and no one said anything. But a lot of us, because we're studying to be pastors, thought, you know, we probably should, but we didn't want to, blah, blah, blah. And then out of the darkness, one of the voices of the men said, I got something. And he started reciting, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as holy and living sacrifices, which is your acceptable service, your acceptable worship unto God. And he began to recite the entire chapter 12 of Romans from his heart and his mind. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like I was in the midst of something holy, something beautiful as God's word just drifted through the darkness and presented light to us. It says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It says in Jeremiah that when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, it says he, he ate it and it was his joy and heart's delight. In Ezekiel, it says that Ezekiel ate the scroll and it was sweet like honey to him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scriptures God breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is living and active. It's like a sword able to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, to judge the attitudes of the heart and mind. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor sits in the seat of sinners, nor stands in this way of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. word of God. God breathed like a sword, sweet to the taste, like honey, a joy to the heart, living and active. The book is dangerously beautiful. I fundamentally believe that God has given us these words. Not to be decorative on the mantle above our fireplace, but to be consumed, to be eaten, to be memorized, to allow it to work in us and to shape us and to mold us. We have three basic goals to this series. The first one is this, is to increase our confidence in the Bible as God's word. That the average one of us in the congregation here, that somehow through this series that we'd be able to say, you know what, I actually do believe that God has given us this word. That there's enough in there that says this will be an authority in my life or the authority of my life. We want to increase the confidence. And for, for those that struggle, to encourage those who doubt and struggle with their trust of the Bible to address the questions. To let them say, to let people say who struggle and doubt and say, you know, I honestly don't know about certain things in the Bible. I honestly don't understand about this or this or this. That we'd be able to ask honest questions about Say in the end, can we really trust this? And our hope and prayer is that your trust, if you're a doubter and a struggler, would increase and be magnified. Here's the third goal. is to whet the appetite of all of us to become people of the book. Readers of the word. Right? That we, that we would like somehow say at the end of this series or in the middle of this series or maybe even today, I want to read more of this book. So it become a part of my life. We're going to read a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I, I apologize. Right? But, but when you look at our world, there, there's 18 characteristics mentioned here about the last days. Uh, about the end times. About, about the times that... We'll see if you recognize these. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. I, I, yeah, I'm going to, I, yeah, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I apologize if you have to stand through this. You don't. If you would rather sit, you're welcome to do that. But for those of you who would like to, in honor of God's word, could we stand as we read it? This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. But mark this, he says. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always, listen, listen, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose truth. They are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, Paul's saying to Timothy, you, however, and, and maybe you just want to grab those words for yourself, maybe, maybe, and, and, and you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, in fact, everyone, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil duels and endurers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those whom from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. And is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathed. Almost sounds supernatural. Like, like it's no ordinary book. Heavenly Father, again, we ask you to speak to us. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. That's my first point this morning. This is no ordinary book. I don't know if you know this, but, but this is the most popular book on the face of the earth. Maybe the most popular book on the face of the earth that's hardly ever read. But, but it's the most popular book on the face of the earth. Over 5 billion copies of this book have been sold. Matter of fact, if, if you follow... Uh, do you all have version Bible on your, on your phone? version app? Uh, just... I, I think I have the stats here. 1,700, well, let's see what it says here. Get the app, get the app, get the app, share the Bible app. 54, no, what is that number? 547,052,881,880,880, there's a whole bunch being downloaded right now. Like this book, 
has been translated just by this organization into 1,700 languages. This is the most unique book on the face of the earth. It, it's, it's one of the top 10 ever sold in the last 50 years. But, by, but, but the next closest book is 820 million copies, uh, The Works of Mao Zedong. I, I think, uh, what's that, that book, uh, Shades of Grey? No. Well, how do you know that? Boy, that was quick. That came out right away, Mr. Vernaccio. Right. <laughs> 50 Shades, I'm just a task, Mike. 50 Shades of Grey is like skyrocketing. But it, none of them compare to the usage of the Bible and, and the, the, the numbers of copies of the Bible. Matter of fact, some of us have seven, eight, or nine of them in our home. It's the most quoted book on the face of the earth. It is the most book that has threatened governments and has shaped governments. It's a book that has given people life, they will say. It's a book that people have given their lives for the preservation of it. It's a book that, that many would say, including me, that the power backing this book has changed my life. Like the very words of this book have, have called me into, into portions of my life, into actions of my life, into spaces of my life that, that, that are changing the fabric of who I am on a daily basis. This book is absolutely unique. Teddy Roosevelt said this, a thorough knowledge, of, by the way, uh, any college professors here? Anybody yet? Okay, I think there's a few in here. They just don't want to admit it. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Teddy Roosevelt. It's by many considered dangerous, so much so, that in certain times of history, people have gathered this book and burned it because the words will change things in people's lives. It, it, it's, unique. it's a unique book in its authorship. This book was written by over 44 different authors over a span of 1,500 years. It, it, it's, it's unique in its writing. It's written in three different languages, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, and Greek. It, it's, it's unique in, in the fact that, that its content is 27% made up of prophecies. Statements that, that as you look at them, as you, when they were written, they've come true over time or are coming true over time. Right? That, that the book was written in a way that not all of it has happened yet. One of the most amazing things is it refers to the second coming of Jesus. Right? That one day Jesus will return to us. The Bible is this amazing book filled with content about this love story between God and humanity. That God has been pursuing mankind since the day we first chose to rebel against him. Pursuing us so much that the Bible teaches us about God becoming flesh. And dwelling amongst us. And living a perfect life. And dying on the cross for us. That that we wouldn't know any of that hardly in our lifetime other than witnesses who would spread it to other people. We wouldn't know most of what we know about God apart from the Bible. There is general revelation, the, the, the testimony of God that speaks through creation. But special revelation is the understanding that God gave us this book so that we can understand who he is, his character, his love for us, his most amazing privilege. It's how we understand salvation. In Acts chapter 4, 
It says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified, whom you, God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under, given to us under heaven by which mankind must be saved. Hebrews 9 says this, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. In Ephesians it says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, when you look at other religious books, they're full of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and how-to's. This book, it's like a love letter where God is saying, I've pursued you. I love you. I've come for you. I believe that you are to die for. This is an amazing book, you guys. It's very, very unique. It's unique in its survival. That for thousands of years, you can look at the manuscripts, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, that you can look at the manuscripts and, and the preservation of the words and how it's written and the actual letters and words is preserved for generation upon generation upon generation. Now you'll have, hear people say, well, there's all kinds of errors. We're going to talk about that. There's like two, Maybe. But its preservation is amazing. It, it, it's, it's unique above all the books. Matter of fact, the Bible says about itself that it's holy. It, it, it's the Greek word hagias, which means set apart. That for the people of the book, God's people, that we set apart this book different than other books because, because it's God-breathed. It, it's God-breathed. You know when you speak... When you speak, you, you use breath to form words, right? You, you, you form the words and you speak them out. They're, they're, they're formed in your mind. Your, your tongue and your mouth shapes them. But it's breath that moves them. In the same way, we, we say that the word of God is God-breathed. It's given to us the words, the understanding, the meaning, that God made sure that everything he wanted said in his book is here. That he breathed it out, that he gave it. John Stott says this. It originated in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by God's breath or spirit. It is therefore rightly termed the word of God. That God made sure that the very message and words that he desired were breathed out through the unique writers and using them as vessels. That God gave us his word. It's unique. But unique doesn't necessarily mean it's trustworthy. Unique doesn't mean you're necessarily going to believe it. When I, when I was studying this passage in 2 Timothy, there's this little phrase that stood out to me in, in a very significant way. It, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Here's our second point this morning. It's the word convinced. Convinced. Like, convinced so that you would have confidence in. 
I, I like this about Timothy because it, it says that he's learned all this stuff. It actually says from infancy, his parents, his mother and his grandmother had been teaching him. His mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice had been teaching him from infancy. But there was this point. There was this point where he needed to become convinced of. Right? Like, like many of us, where you learn a thing through your whole life, some of us, or some of us in high school or college, where you start to learn, and all of a sudden you realize, is this stuff really true? And you have to decide, you have to like incorporate, you have to eat it, consume it, and say, this is going to be a part of my life. I do believe this. I trust it. I have become convinced. It, it always makes me want to step back for a moment when, when people come up to me, and, and this happens frequently as a pastor, and, and they say something like this, Pastor, pa- pastor what do we believe about such and such. And, I, and I'm like, as though there's a set of, you have to, like, these, these are the things that, like, one, two, three, four, five, six. And Pastor, what do we believe about, like, what do we believe about abortion? Or, or Pastor, what do we believe about same-sex marriage? What do we believe about divorce? What do we believe about heaven or hell? What do we believe about tithing and money? What do we believe about... A whole bunch of things that people come to me periodically. And here, here's what I want to say. And I won't say it. And I, and I don't mean it's disrespectful. If you have to ask me what we believe, we don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you'd know what you believed about it. You wouldn't have to ask me. No, there's nothing wrong with asking. But the best way maybe would, to say it would be, Pastor, what do normal Christians believe? Or what historically does the church believe about? Or what does the Bible teach about? But to say that we believe something. I, I teach the confirmation kids this all the time. The, 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 like we will require them to say we believe in the Holy Scriptures, the Old New Testament, we, we believe. And, and I tell them just because you say that doesn't mean you do it. Just because you say you believe it doesn't mean. Because here's, here's what happens. When we say, when we're convinced of a thing, we give ourselves to the thing. Like when we're convinced of a thing, it becomes a part of our life. When we're convinced of a thing, we have this confidence or Godfidence in, in what we say we believe because we've believed it. I wonder what would happen if the church, okay, this is just a little soapbox for a second. If the church would spend... If when we're going to argue for a thing, well, let me, let me say it this way. I'm always a little bit set back again when I hear people arguing for the preservation of a thing or the doing of a thing or schools doing this or schools doing that or not doing this or not doing that or people doing this or not doing that. And you start to talk to them and say, how do you know that? Like, where do you read that in the Bible? Or where did you find... And their answer is, well, I don't know. I've been, just been told that that's what's true. And I'm wondering what would happen if we only argued for things we actually believed and practiced. If we actually could say, the reason I think this about this isn't because the pastor told me this, but I've actually found it in the Bible. And I trust what the Bible teaches about it. That we would have the integrity to say, I believe this at the core of my being because I've thought it through. And I trust what the scriptures teach about marriage. I trust what the scriptures teach about money. 
I trust what the scriptures teach about sexuality. I trust what the scriptures teach about, or I don't. But at least I'm honest about it. See, we're living in a day when people all around us are saying things like, I no longer believe this, or I don't like what this says about. And so we're jettisoning things that we would say we used to believe, or we never truly believed, but we said we believed. And you ever wonder what to do about that? Like how, how do we become convinced? Here's the first thing I would say is, I don't think convinced comes regarding God's word just by a choice. I think it's a prayerful thing. I think when we have doubts and struggles, I don't think we should deny them. I don't think we should pretend they don't exist. I think we should pray about them and say, God, help me become convinced. A little bit like Thomas. You, you, you know Thomas who, who heard about the resurrection. Well, by the way, the resurrection, that's a stunning thing. Like if you weren't a, a person who had heard about it a bunch, but, but you'd heard about for the first time, this dead guy came back to life. That would freak you out. Right? And that people saw him and talked about it. And, and the one guy, Thomas, he said, I don't believe it. And you know what? Je- Jesus didn't ridicule him. Jesus didn't humiliate him. Jesus didn't shame him. Jesus showed him. So they could touch and feel and experience what was true. For our friends and maybe some of us who struggle with things, maybe that's what we should ask. God, help me know. Help me see. Help me touch. Help me feel what's true. Rather than just pretend I believe things or, or, or refuse to believe them, help me to investigate. Help me be like the father who Jesus said that he would heal his son of a demon. Where, where, the, where the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. What do we do with our doubts? Like, like when they come, rather than panic, maybe we ought to just go to God and say, God, I don't know if I believe this whole thing about the fish and a guy. I don't know if I believe the whole thing about you parting a whole body of water. God, I read this and it says that bread or manna or something fell down from the sky. Are you kidding me? Can we believe those things? Can we believe them to the point where we're convinced? See, what I think we ought to do, rather than just pretend, I think we ought to acknowledge him before God. Say, God, this is stinking hard for me to believe. Acknowledge him and say, God, I want to be convinced of this. Can you help me be convinced? So that I don't have to just pretend it's true. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to look at all kinds of reasons why you can believe. The the other thing I I want to encourage you, chase your doubts into the light. Like if you honestly doubt something, if you struggle with, do the investigation before God and, and, and with truth. Ask friends. Talk about it. Figure it out, but ask God to transform your heart. And maybe, maybe define and rank your, your doubts. Some of your doubts are, I believe this, but I doubt. 
Like, I believe but help my unbelief. I can't believe this because I doubt. That's a different kind of doubt. I, 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 I believe this, but I doubt. I'm just not... Sh- I can't believe this because I doubt. I'm struggling with my ability to live it. I won't believe it. Here's the thing. If you don't believe it, the actual honest thing before God is just say, I don't believe it. What I'm inviting us to is to be people of integrity. To when you become convinced, you're really convinced. When you're struggling, that you're really struggling. I love that Timothy, that it says from infancy he knew the scriptures, but there was still this point where he became convinced of. I, I, I love that. Because he didn't just swallow. He became convinced of as though he wasn't always convinced about it. As though he had to work it through. The word convinced in the Greek language means to render it trustworthy. To have it rendered trustworthy. To be be persuaded and established. To have a convincedness. That's not Greek. That's just me. A convincedness that says, I can stand on this. I think that's a beautiful place to be. That you take your struggles and your doubts and your I'm not sure's and you present them before God and say, I want to know. Back in the early days of our denomination, there was this phrase that we would ask each other when we said this is something we had to do or something we had to do. We would ask, where's it written? With the understanding that this was the authority of our lives. When you're taking your practices and your thoughts, who gets to be the authority in your life. Like, 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 are you convinced enough to say, I trust the Bible enough to say this is an, the, the authority in my life that, that when the Bible says, or, or, or is it you? Truth is, for many of us, that, that is the authority. It's whether I'm going to think it's good for me or not. Whether, sometimes it's whether we're comfortable or not. For some of us, our authority is something someone told us back when we were a kid. For some of us, our authority is science. For some of us, our authority is friends or culture or family or my political party. For some of us, it's a pastor. It's tradition. John Ortberg says this. John Ortberg's a pastor from California. He says, the Bible says all authority belongs to God. The Bible never claims to have all authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we talk about the authority of the Bible, it is shorthand for talking about the authority of God. When we say the Bible has authority, we mean God uses the Bible to express his authority, his truth. God breathed. We believe that God gave us the words. And if you don't believe that, you don't have to believe it but pursue truth. Here's the last point. The Bible's dangerously beautiful power. The Bible's dangerously beautiful power. See, if you live this book, if you really live it, you live much of your life in opposition to culture. You will live your life in opposition to the principalities and powers of this dark world. 
it'll be dangerous for you in the sense that you won't fit. I'm not, the Apostle Paul says that those who live according to this book will be persecuted. Increasingly, people are going to dislike the messages that are spoken of by God's people. Not by how we speak it, because we're always supposed to speak in love. By what is spoken. If you live according to this book, you'll have to put to death your passions and your desires. It says in Galatians, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. If you live according to this book, it'll be dangerous to your selfishness. Because God calls us to live sacrificially every day to die to ourselves. Luke chapter 9, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It will lead you to a diminished selfishness. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself even to the point of death. It says that this book is useful for teaching. That it'll show you what's true. That the book is useful for rebuking. It'll shout at you and say, hey, you're off base. Teaching, rebuking, correcting. It will teach you when you're off how to get back on. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God will be equipped for every good work. When, when we're wondering, I don't know what to do or how to do it. The word of God will teach you. It will teach you about the character of God. It will teach you that he is a high tower. That he's a merciful judge. That you can call him Father. It'll teach you that he believes that you are to die for. It'll teach you and show you that he's like a shepherd who will lead you beside quiet waters and restore your soul. That he'll walk with you through the the valley of the shadow of death. It will teach you that he is the great provider, the lover of your soul. It will teach you that he's coming back to take you to be with him so you can be where he is and to bring you to a place where there's no more sorrow no more death no more mourning no more crying it will teach you how to be one of those who are blessed favored by God because blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of wicked or sits in a seat of scoffers or stands in the way of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. See, what we're hoping in this series is that we'll learn to love the book the God who gave it to us. That 
our appetite will be wet. So that we'll become readers of the book. That we'll hand God our questions. And say, help me become convinced. And gradually, we'll have a greater confidence in the book. So I'm wondering, maybe even this week, maybe you just take a couple minutes each day. Just read one of the Gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus. You can do what I do. Hit the little speaker on version. Hold your Bible and let some British guy read to you as you follow along. a dangerously beautiful book. God breathed. It can change your life.